It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. How strong is the underlying U.S. economy? In many ways, that answer will shape Joe Biden's presidency. And this week, I spoke with Mark Zandi. He's been an optimist on Biden's plans and his economic team. So where does he see trouble ahead? That's where we begin this week's conversation. Mark Zandi, a real pleasure, chief economist for Moody's Analytics, and welcome to the program today. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be with you. I I have a hundred topics for you. (laughs) Let's see how many we can get through over the next 20 minutes or so, because my sense, and this is your field, but my sense is the ground seems to be shifting in a way beneath us. And I, I really don't know how much anyone knows when it comes to understanding it. Start at the macro level, 35,000 feet. How do you see the economy? I'm optimistic, Bill. Uh, I, I feel very good about where the economy is headed. Uh, so just to give you some numbers, I, I think over the next year, we're going to create six, seven million jobs. Unemployment, which today is just, just over 6%, will be closing in on 4%. Uh, there's just a lot of tailwinds behind this economy. So I, I'd be... I'm quite confident about the direction we're headed. I, I feel very good about that. Uh, the tailwinds, is it more than government spending out of Washington? Yeah, uh, we're reopening. Uh, the pandemic is winding down. Uh, and, you know, there's a, a adjustment uh, issues uh, as all these businesses open up all at once and want to rehire uh, all at once. So there's a bit of uh, trying to fill all the chairs uh, problem, but we'll work through those uh, because there's a lot of money to be made and uh, that's driving a lot of growth. Also, there's a, there's just a lot of pent up demand. You know, people have been sheltering in place, or at least many people have, haven't been traveling, going to restaurants, ball games, getting their hair cut, and they have saved a lot of money. So you mix a lot of pent up demand with a lot of excess cash, and that's a magical elixir and is going to drive a lot of spending. Uh, consumer spending over the next year. So let me take and of the, course the fiscal policy is also an issue is also a, a support as well. But those are two other those are two big tailwinds. Let, let me take the other side of that. A few days ago, we had this inflation report, consumer price index, which shot up more than anybody thought. I think it was the highest reading or the highest jump since 1982, which is phenomenal to me. I mean, a lot of people listening to this probably never lived through inflationary years because we haven't had it for 40 years. But prices are going up, gasoline and lumber and corn and automobiles. So uh, what am I missing, Mark? Not a surprise, right? I mean, uh, a big part of that jump in consumer prices was airlines normalizing uh, uh, fares, uh, rental car companies uh, p- putting their uh, prices back to where they were pre-pandemic. Um, you know, used car prices are up because people weren't buying new cars last year, so there's fewer off-lease cars uh, this year. Um, so, you know, a big part of what we're observing is just getting back to normal, just uh, resetting things after a very difficult year. And, you know, if, if my diagnosis is correct, then the, these jumps in prices that we're observing right now will be will be temporary as we work through these issues 
And by the summer, probably, you know, no later than the fall, uh, you know, prices will settle back down and consumer price prices will be growing about the pace they were, you know, prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's shooting out of nowhere. But you, 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 your approach is very calm to this, which I think is a reassuring attitude to have. I, I don't know how many trillions of dollars they print in Washington or how many more programs they pass, but, I mean, there was an incredible story this past week. California came out and said, we've got $76 billion in surplus, and yet I think Washington's going to give California another $40 billion. I mean, you could argue they don't need it. And if they don't, what are the moral hazards of the policies that you might see at the moment? Yeah, I think that's a fair, uh, fair criticism. Uh, you're right. Uh, the American Rescue Plan, that's the uh, package that was passed, the $1.9 trillion package passed back in uh, March at $350 billion for state and local government. And they probably don't need that. Right? At least half the states have surpluses. The other half don't, and 10, 12 have big deficits. But, you know, $350 billion is a lot, lot of money. I don't think there's a moral hazard involved there. What I think will probably happen is that excess cash will probably go into infrastructure, the, you know, one-off kinds of projects that states need to do. And, uh, you know, I think it'll ultimately end up in a, in a reasonably good place. I don't think it's going to ill incent state and local governments to do, to, to, to uh, behave bad fiscally and, and uh, sign on to uh, programs that they're going to have to pay for a long run. Maybe maybe some states will do that, but I think that'll be more the exception than the rule. You sound bullish, um, and I I know you're not a stock picker, uh, but every year more and more Americans have money in the market, and it's been flying high. And this week it showed, uh, at least <laughs> for a while, it's got gravity after all. Where do you think that's heading? Uh, well, the stock market has discounted all my optimism and then some, right? So it's it's gone skyward. I mean, it's just been straight up since the bottom back a year ago. I think the bottom was late March 2020, and it's been literally straight up. So investors uh, are discounting my optimism. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't think there's much more room to run on the upside, particularly as interest rates continue to rise and get back to something more typical. You know, they've been extraordinarily low and that helps to support stock prices. We can talk about why, but that's a key to a high stock yeah. market and high valuations. Yeah. So as as interest rates start to normalize, as the economy gets back to, you know, uh, pre-pandemic levels, uh, then the stock market is going to have to adjust too. So, I, you know, if you told me the stock market a year from now is about where it is today, I don't think I'd argue with you. Wow. Okay. So it's flat over the next 12 months, possibly. Yeah, well, of course, of course, the stock market goes up, down, and all around, right? So, uh, you know, it's, there's going to be a lot of big swings here, and we've observed a bit of that over the last couple of days. But, but yeah, if you look through that volatility a year from now, if you told me the S&P 500 was at you know, 4,100, which is where it is today, I'd say, yeah, that sounds about right. Mm. What is the real deal on real estate? And uh, people are moving a lot. A lot of that's a big part of COVID. Um, Homes in certain parts of the country are doubling in price. You look at Florida and the amount of growth down there. Uh, It's been reported that inventory is slim across the country. Uh, What what do you think is happening in that sector? Yeah, well, uh, key to all of it is the uh, low interest rates, the low mortgage rates. I mean, you know, you go back 
a few months ago, if the 30-year fixed rate mortgage was going for two and three quarters percent. I mean, that's just like incredibly yeah. low. Even now, yeah. it's up a little bit, but you know, we're around three, which is incredibly low. So people say, hey, you know, if it's free money, why wouldn't I do that? Particularly for given the work from anywhere dynamic and people wanting, you know, to live uh, outside of big cities, at least uh, temporarily. The other thing, Bill, that's going on is there's a very severe shortage of housing, affordable housing. We home builders have not been able to keep up with just the growth in the population and households. And so we have a very severe shortage, particularly kind of at the lower and lower mid price points, home, price points you know, kind of the affordable part of the market. And so that put, puts a, no pun intended, you know, kind of a floor under prices uh, and, uh, you know, helps to propel uh, the kind of uh, growth we've been seeing. And then the, finally, you know, take like any market, uh, asset market, like the stock market, you know, the, the housing market's taking on a life of its own. So, you know, people see prices rising and they say, hey, this is a good investment. I mean, I can't make any money on my checking account. Uh, you know, I've been, I'm fully invested in stock and do I really want to invest more in that given what's going on there? So they see housing as a good, you know, alternative investment. And, you know, in the long run, they're probably right. Mm. What about office space? I, if, if, if you were to come to Midtown Manhattan or if you were to go up any of the avenues here in New York, it, the signs are out, the space is empty, um, retail space for lease, You've got all these high-rise buildings in Midtown Manhattan and Lower Manhattan. Mark, there hasn't been anyone in them in 13, 14, 15 months. What's what's the future for that? Yeah, office, I think, is one of the casualties. Office space demand, you know, the office market is a casualty of the pandemic, that the work from anywhere uh, phenomena is real. It's it, You know, there'll be some swinging back. People as offices reopen, as New York reopens over in the next couple of weeks, office buildings uh, welcome people back. There'll be some swinging back, but there's no going back. You know, the percent of the workforce that's going to be working from home on a consistent basis is going to be a lot higher uh, going forward than it was pre-pandemic. And that means just less demand for office space, particularly in big urban areas like New York and Chicago, San Francisco, LA, you know, Houston, maybe Miami, so those those big markets, I think uh, they've got some adjusting to do, uh, you know, going forward. So, okay. the cash uh, so I mean, there's an adjustment on that. There's probably a financial effect that comes from that. Can you tell us what that is? Well, uh, yeah, uh, you know, there are mortgages on those office buildings. So, you know, if office absorption is down, as vacancies high, rents weaken. Uh, the owners of those properties can't uh, make their payments on their mortgages. So we'll probably see some uh, office buildings default on their mortgages. And so there'll be some, you know, ripple effects of that. But, you know, Bill, in the, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, one small part of the economy. I don't, I don't think this is a major head. Do, do you see me, do you see significant bankruptcies coming from this? Because here's the way I see it is, the landlords will start renegotiating their leases with those who want to do work there and in all likelihood at a lower price, at least in the near term. And perhaps, you know, the silver lining in this is that if you're a business owner and you've been trying to get into a, into a, into a uh, high rated market like San Francisco, like L.A., like New York City, this might be your opportunity, which could create opportunity for those who've been waiting to get into the market. 
Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there's, there's, we have to get from here to there, though. So, the, you know, the next thing that happens is rents got to come down and prices for those office properties have to come down. And so there's some, you know, pain and suffering, financial pain and suffering for the people who own those properties, uh, you know. But you're right. Once that process is over a year or two from now, when rents are down, then the you know, markets will adjust, right? You, you'll, you'll see people say, hey, you know, uh, downtown Manhattan looks pretty attractive, or I can go to San, you know, the middle of San Francisco in the financial district, and I, which I couldn't afford that at whatever square feet it was, you know, prior to the pandemic, but now I can. So those markets will adjust. It's just, you know, it'll be a little bit painful here over the next couple of three years. And, and, and to be clear, you describe this as a small part of the overall economy. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think we're even going to see this show up. You know, there, there'll be some. Uh, problems in parts of the financial, you know, commercial mortgage-backed securities market. There, the, some smaller banks might that have extended loans that are that uh, go bad may have a problem. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I really don't see this as a macroeconomic issue. It's a it's a it's a local issue. It's a it's a, a part a problem for part of the uh, financial system. But wow. it's not going to have a big ripple. Uh, I really applaud your optimism. Um, I guess I'm going to go out and buy today. <laughs> Stand by, Mark, because I'm a chi- I'm a child of the '80s. When I see the I word, I run scared. When our conversation continues here on Hammer Time. Hey, folks, it's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors often running small businesses right in your community. Plus. They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Back with Mark Zandi, Chief Economist, Moody's Analytics. Mark, um, I can remember 1981, 1982, when things were not good. Prices were through the roof on just about everything. Inflation was crushing this economy. And it's really tough to get out of that once you find yourself in it. Do you think we are headed that way or can we prevent it? No, Bill, we're not heading. Hey, look, I mean, before the pandemic hit, uh, even during the pandemic, what was our biggest what has been our biggest problem for the last 25 years? It's not it's not inflation being too high. It's inflation being too low. I mean, the Federal Reserve has, has been working really, really hard, keeping interest rates low to try to get inflation up. So some acceleration in inflation uh, is a feature, not a bug. I mean, 
I mean, uh, core underlying inflation for the last 25 years has been one and three quarters percent per annum. The Fed's target is two. And the, te- and the Fed's telling us we want something above two. And we can go into the logic as to why, but it makes perfect sense. So going from below two to above two, that's the that's what we're in the middle of. And you got, just got to keep that in mind. I, I understand, you know, when you're in the middle of that process, which is what we're in the middle of now, it feels a little uncomfortable you, and you start for you see what's happened over the last few, couple few months you start forecasting that that's going to continue forever and we're going to get into the situation that we were in the late 70s and early 80s that that is that is not uh, at all likely um, mm. you know I, I suppose i could construct a scenario how we would get there but you know I, i'd be very stretched and it's a, it's a very low yeah. probability uh, mark if you if you had a pile of money how would you protect that against inflation well, uh, I mean, the the th- real estate's a single single family. Uh, it, first of all, it depends on who you are, your your risk tolerance, how old you are, what your hor- investment horizon is. But you know, uh, I, I think in general, you should have a diversified set of investments. You know, a big set of investments in stocks, uh, real estate, uh, you know, fixed income. If you're a little bit older and like me, and you know, approaching, you know, retirement. Uh, certainly a, a cash cushion. I, you know, I don't think you need to do anything extraordinary here. I, I guess my message is don't inflation is picking up, but it's picking up from, you know, incredibly low levels and it's not going to go, it's not going to get to a place where you're going to feel uh, uncomfortable, about mm-hmm. it, at least not on a consistent basis. Uh, what I mean, you, yeah. Uh, I mean, you may have to pay more $3, more than $3 a gallon for gasoline over the next six months as, you know, oil markets kind of figure it out. And yes, you might have to pay, uh, you know, more for, you know, a washing machine or, uh, you know, uh, laundry detergent, that kind of thing, because there's uh, supply issues, you know, because of as, uh, the global supply chains kind of iron themselves out. But that these aren't these are small things and not long term things. So I, I don't think I would put concerns about inflation kind of the, certainly not the top of the list of things I'm thinking about when I'm trying to think about how should I save. Mm, fair point. When you think about the unemployment benefits going through the 6th of September, I don't know if you think it's a good idea or not, but, you know, with the jobs report, it would suggest that at least in part, if not a major part of the reason why these jobs are not filled is because you can make more money by staying home and collecting unemployment through the federal government and at the local level through your own state. How much credit do you give that possibility? I think it, it it's a, it's playing a role, but I think it's playing a small role. Uh, you know, if I were king for the day, mm-hmm. I, I, I would not have extended the supplemental UI, you know, the $300 a week supplement that you're talking about through September, which is what it's going through to uh, now. I probably, I mean, if I were king, I probably would have tied it to unemployment. So as unemployment comes down in states, then that supplemental UI would go. I mean, I, you know, there's uh, administering that, you know, operationally might be a little bit difficult, but that's kind of the Again, if I were king, that's what I would have done. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the, at, at, you know, the under, and I know there's a lot of anecdotes out there, and I know there's a lot of business people that feel that this is a big deal, and I'm sure in some parts of the country and in, in, in some industries it is. But you know, from a as a macroeconomist looking at the at the data, it, it's very difficult to come to the conclusion that that's a big deal. The bigger deal, Bill, in terms of getting people finding people, is schools aren't open. You know, and you've got. Uh, you know, a lot of parents, moms and dads that are at home that, uh, you know, stepped out of the workforce when the pandemic hit because they had to take care of their kids who had to go online. 
And the real key here is getting those schools reopened so that those folks can go back to go back to work. That's the bigger deal. That's where you have millions and millions of people that, you know, aren't working, that, that want to be working and should be working. Did you see the interview with Jamie Dimon, Wall Street Journal, about a week ago, uh, head of J.P. Morgan? I didn't see the interview, no. Uh, he, um, it was in print. Uh, he, he said this. He said, our government... When they point out the issues that we should do better, they're right. But if we just throw a lot of money at it and it's all wasted again, we will be in big trouble. And then he talked about the can-do nation became the nation of, of red tape. I don't know what you, I, I don't have a good sense about where you think the Fed is right now, whether or not they should start bumping up these interest rates by, by, by a quarter point here, another quarter point there. Would you expect that? Or do you, do you think they're riding this right, so to speak, now? So far, so good. I mean, I, their uh, roadmap is, hey, let's get back to full employment. Let's get an unemployment rate that's back down below 4%. Let's get labor force participation back. Let's get you know all those people who stepped out of the workforce back in. And let's get inflation up. You know, uh, We want it above two. We don't want it below two, You know, and uh, lots of reasons for that. And once we achieve that bogey, uh, those, you know, those goals, then yeah, we'll start raising interest rates. So I think that's reasonable. Now it becomes a debate as to, you know, you know, what's full employment? Are we there yet? Is inflation high enough? Is it persistent enough? Are we there yet? And, you know, uh, you know, once that debate's been resolved, then, uh, you know, start raising short term interest rates. Mm. Now, the Fed is saying, you know, the, uh, that's not all that what, what I described. We're not going to hit those objectives until 2024. I, I doubt that, uh, you know, if you told me late 22, 23, given all the, everything that's going on here, that sounds more, uh, more reasonable to me, more likely. But, you know, I think they've got the right objectives and I think they've got the right strategy. So I think, you know, they're on the right path here. Well, two more questions. Yeah. In college, I got one C, I received one C in four years and it was economics. <laughs> Good thing I, I took it past fail, so you know it didn't show up on the. Re- how, how do you get interested in economics? What was it for you? Oh my gosh! From the beginning of time, Bill, uh, you, you know some things are you know you're not great at. Some things you're pretty good at, and you know it right away. I'm sure you know when you got into your profession, you kind of felt, oh man. I really like this. I'm really good at this. I can I can do this, and you you know you excelled. You know same. Same thing with uh, me and economics. I can remember fourth grade. It's hard to believe, but I had a I had a project. The project was why did the auto industry locate in Detroit? Back when I was in school, Detroit was the center of the auto industry, and I thought that was the coolest project. And you know, and I I remember doing all kinds of work. And I can I, to this day I can tell you exactly why they located there. Why? But that, that, I didn't know what economics was, but that was economics, and uh, I I loved it, and I was off and running. And why? Uh, first, sorry, you raise a great question. Why? Why did they go to Detroit? Uh, well, uh, the, the the all the raw materials for producing steel, which was key, key to the auto industry, was in uh, the uh, few hundred miles of uh, Detroit, and then of course the waterway. You can get you know uh, you can move uh, stuff to Detroit and, and ship stuff out of Detroit. It was through the St. Lawrence, uh, you know, waterway. So that was also, you know, very key. And then, and then of course, you know, it's, it's just idiosyncratic, you know, you know, where was Henry Ford, you know, where did he live? 
Uh, and that's a big that's a big part of it as well. So yeah. those, those are the key reasons. And, why um, there. Uh, when you start your day, what, what's the first thing you consult, or what it what's the first thing you want to know? Oh, I, I mean, I go immediately to the web, and I you know I take a look at what's going on. I, of course, I get a lot of things pushed to me through emails. So actually, the first thing I do is I look at through all my emails, and I, you know, I've got two hundred economists that report to me, all, you know, all, from all over the world. So I'm getting emails from all over the place all night. And so when I wake up, I probably have, I don't know, I don't know, 35, 40, 45 emails. So I take a look at those very quickly, see if there's anything, you know, important going on, both in terms of the economy, but also in terms of, you know, what's going on with my folks. And then I immediately turn uh, online and I, you know, just see what's going on. And I, you know, go to the major news sources. I, I look at Fox, CNBC, uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, FT, um, uh, uh, of course, the Washington Post. So this is, I go immediately there. So that, that's ex- that's where I look. Maybe at, uh, I can put a finer point on the question. And final question for you: sure. Is there yeah. a certain data point that Mark Zandi wakes up every day and says, "I need to know what's happening there"? Well, I, you know, I, I the ten-year Treasury yield is kind of my b- benchmark uh, statistic. I mean, that is a pure read generally a pure read on, uh, you know, what's going on economically. And you can tell a lot about the world, you know, from that one statistic. And, you know, the stock market goes up and down for lots of different reasons, but you know, generally bond yields go up and down for only one reason, and that, that goes back to the economy. Uh-huh. When you see the Treasury yield at 1.5 or 1.9, I think it's been at 1.6 this week. I'm sorry, Mark, but yeah. help me understand what you see in that number that tells you how that reflects the economy and in which direction we're going. Okay. So today we're at, I think one, six, seven, uh, it's up a, a one percentage point, a little more from where we were a year ago. That's progress. Uh, we were moving in the right direction, but uh, normal typical would be three and a half percent. So we are, uh, you know, off bottom, we're moving in the right direction, but we, We've got a long way to go before we're back to anything I would consider to be normal. I'm going to start doing that. Thanks for the tip. I hear the dog in the distant background. Tell your dog. yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's all cool. You're living. You're a human being. You're at home. It's still somewhat COVID times. By the way, this conversation is happening at noon on a Thursday, May 13th, Mark. And I point that out because I'm not quite sure when people are going to listen to it, but uh, when they do, conditions could change between now and then. So thank you so much for your time. I've learned a lot. Well, both thanks for the opportunity. I really do appreciate that. You thank bet. You. Uh, maybe we check in in six months and see where we are and where we're headed then, Mark. Thank you so much. Have a terrific Take weekend. Take care now. Mark Zandi, Chief Economist, Moody's Analytics. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.